0: Welcome to the Anthropology in Business podcast, where you'll learn about the many ways anthropology is applied in business and why business anthropology is one of the most effective lenses for making sense of organizations and consumers. Through conversations with leading anthropologists working in advertising, marketing, consumer behavior, organizational culture, user experience, and many other roles, you'll learn firsthand what it means to do business anthropology and how the work differs from academic anthropology. We will discuss issues like the pace and depth of research in business, our visibility and influence as practitioners, and what we can do to build our brand. We will also focus on the value and impact of our research in business so that we can help business leaders understand why they should be hiring anthropologists. I'm your host, Matt Arts, a business anthropologist specializing in design anthropology and working at the intersection of product management, user experience, and business strategy. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. I'm Matt Arts of the Anthropology and Business Podcast, which you'll now find in the American Anthropological Association's podcast library. I'm here today with Ainsley Hooper. Ainsley is an anthropologist from Australia, disability inclusion consultant, speaker, author, and the founder of Ainsley Hooper Consulting. So Ainsley, thanks for joining me today. Would you mind by telling everybody how you got interested in anthropology?
1: Yeah. Hi. So thanks for having me on the podcast. Um, for, For me, my interest in anthropology which I find is very a very similar journey to everyone that I've met was quite accidental. So I um, started. So I was um, yeah working in the, the basic the public service for twenty years at a call center, and uh, midway through that, I ended up in hospital um, and had a, a fair amount of time off due to due to um, being sick. And anyway, um, someone suggested to me, because I was afraid my brain turned into much, why don't you um, pick up university and or do study something? And I was like, oh, you know, I didn't do that great in school, but yeah, I'll give, have a look. Anyway, so shortly I enrolled in a Bachelor of Arts, started doing a major in philosophy, found I really enjoyed that, so I started to look at other units, and I found a description of... ASS 101 so the first the, the first anthropology unit uh, I looked at it I was like Yo, that looks actually really interesting something that I you know all, all the kind of documentaries I used to like watching in social and cultural stuff I thought yeah that that's up my alley so I took that um, and within five minutes in the first lecture I was just like yes that's exactly what I want to do for the rest of my life so um, yeah basically continued on um, studying uh, my arts part-time and it, so I started that in 2005 um, and then I resigned from my call centre job uh, in 2019. Um, during that time I'd, I'd gone on to study my honours in anthropology and yeah after resigning from that from that job I uh, started up my own consultancy you know, Consulting, where I um, consult for businesses uh, around disability inclusion.
0: Good. Thanks for sharing that. So you are the first person on, at least who's living in Australia at the time of me interviewing them. Um, and I guess the previous guest who was, who spent time in Australia I didn't necessarily speak about this so much. So I'm just kind of curious could you tell us you know since most of my since most of the listeners of the show are in the states, could you tell us more about what anthropology in Australia looks like? you know is it uh, is it very applied or not? you know did you get any kind of sense of you know practicing while you're in your program or is it uh, more traditional?
1: Yeah, so for me, uh, so I study at uh, study at Deakin University um, in in um, Geelong in Australia and the the focus of the anthropology program is uh, at deakin is very much social and cultural anthropology um and through the honors degree i didn't actually yet yeah, we didn't actually have any kind of um hands-on experience out, out in the field so my consulting is the first time i've been using it out in the field so um it was basically because i don't know what it's like in, the, in in the states but uh when you're studying but in australia the ethics process is just really really um convoluted and can take ages things come back and forth so uh they were discouraging us from doing anything that's going to involve human participants or any, uh, anything like that so um yeah so that and so that's basically like the academic side of it Uh, in regards to what it looks like outside of academia. um, So in Australia, originally my goal when I first started studying, my goal was to get my PhD uh, because I wanted, because I I loved studying anthropology so much. And i wanted to continue studying and basically just get paid to do research uh so my my goal was to get my phd so i could then get a job at the university um and and do that and obviously teach anthropology as well unfortunately things have um anthropology's taken a fair hit in australia Uh, there's a lot of um Universities where the yet the, yeah, the anthropology has been taken out. It's um, especially over uh, um, in Western Australia. Um, they've taken out anthropology completely, and that's because the government just doesn't see the value in the arts, which is really disappointing. So the um, yeah. So based based on that and the fact that finding a job in anthropology at universities is very it's it's not as secure as it used to be it used to be like the the, the dream kind of job now a lot of people are on short-term contracts uh on casual contracts etc so the focus really is on now getting sorry my earphone just fell out uh getting i'm just going to put that back in yeah, sorry, so, yeah, okay, now it's back in. All right, so, yeah, the focus is basically on anthropology outside of academia. Um, in regards to the kind of jobs in Australia, uh, native title is a big area for people, uh, for anthropologists. Um, that native title is uh, looking at the land uh, in regards to Aboriginal ownership, and determining yeah, who owns the land and assisting w- with uh, Aboriginal people claiming that native title back from the government. So there's that, and then there's also obviously the uh, anthropologists uh, working in marketing, that kind of thing. Uh, for me, I, ha- I as I have a disability, uh, for me, the, trying to find that I, I found once I got out of um, academia, I found that there wasn't many opportunities uh, for anthropological jobs in my area. I'd have to travel to Melbourne, which is about an hour away and having a disability just made it really difficult. So uh, that's how I ended up going into consulting and just, um, yeah, finding jobs for myself.
0: Got it. Yeah, thanks. And just a quick, maybe a few follow-up questions. So you said that Um, You know, anthropology is sort of being, you know, defunded, I guess, in in academia. Um, And now it seems like maybe more people are realizing they need to practice outside of academia. Before that started happening, was there many anthropologists working in business?
1: In business? um, At the time, I actually hadn't even looked at anthropology in business until the uh, the idea of the Institute of Anthropology in academic um, institutions um, became less and less attractive. That's only when I started to look outside and go, okay, so how else can it be applied? And so in Australia, I've, I, there seems to be more consulting Uh, for consulting anthropologists rather than actually getting hired as business anthropologists for particular organizations.
0: Got it. So you're working as a disability inclusion consultant. So why, um, you know, I guess, why did you want to run your own company really? I mean, I know you said you were, you know, why you're interested in the topic, but why did you want to really jump in and do it yourself?
1: Because I I couldn't find any jobs um, around me and this is so this is the thing once you get the uh, i'm sure as you know once you get the anthropology bug that's sort of that's basically it um but yeah I, i couldn't find any jobs around me um that utilized my um experience as an anthropologist and obviously i didn't want to travel um so yeah basically it was like okay so i know how beautiful anthropology is and what what it can do when it's utilized and how it can help people affect this was this is what it does for me it helps it helps people see things through other people's eyes and that for me was there was two things so there was wanting to do that but i guess i have to backtrack a little bit because even before that 2019 um i basically being a person with a disability i sort of obviously got a bit of an insight into things that I can see that weren't working in society that like gaps that, that where we're still not being um, not on an equal uh, footing with everybody else and we're missing out on things. And it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be that way. And, um, and it, it comes through people just uh, pr- like it comes through things like privilege Um, where people don't have to actually see the barriers because they're not faced with the barriers, those kind of things. So for me, that's, I I really wanted to help businesses um, tap into the disability, um, not the the disability market, I guess, consumers with disabilities, and, and find ways to make their businesses more inclusive so that consumers can have the same experience as everybody else. So that was my, my, fo- my focus and that's the reason why, I could, as I said, I couldn't find any jobs that really ticked any of the boxes for me. So that's why I decided to start doing it myself.
0: And so how has that experience been so far?
1: It was very hard at the beginning. Very hard. Um, basically, I learned along. I've learned along the way um, to shut up about the anthropology side of things um, a fair bit because even though we like it, people don't care about it, and that was that was hard. At the beginning, I was like, okay, well, people have got to know why it's so good. But yeah, I've learned so to keep that quiet. And so, and so, yeah, I do. I basically all I say to businesses, I'm just wanting to help. Um, consumers. Uh, I, I wanted to help create a more disability inclusive inclusive experience for the consumers, and that's and obviously businesses want to be able to do that as well. So that is getting more, more people on board. So as a consultant, though, it's hard. Like obviously, you go through ebbs and flows with with clients. So. Um, that, that it's, it's a hard slog. Um, but yeah, it's absolutely fascinating.
0: Yeah, for sure. It's, it's funny that you made that comment because it, it comes up so frequently, you know, about really knowing your audience, knowing when to, that you could talk about anthropology and when you can. And more often than not, it seems like most people are saying that we, you know, we don't have those kind of conversations, especially not at the beginning. Um, you know, maybe you get to sprinkle that in a little later, you know, after you have some rapport
1: yeah because I um, I remember like being you know you know I could go to an anthropology conference and just like be a absolute high by the end of it you know because obviously talking about anthropology and yeah then I go into a setting that people are like well what the hell is an anthropologist anyway Uh, and then you start talking about it and their eyes glaze over because it's like they're not interested and it's like why are you interested what am i saying wrong I'm not, obviously i'm not explaining this properly to you why it's so beautiful um yeah so um yeah so basically i mean in my in my role what i basically do is i i i, I take uh, elements from anthropology um toolbox so i i do a lot of qualitative research um i think that's probably the most yeah the most common thing that i do throughout because my consulting is all um but prior to the pandemic, I actually set my business up so that I wouldn't have to be travelling too much. Um, so I've only actually, out of all the consults that I've had, I've only had two on-site consults. Um, so it's all basically online. So, it's yeah, it's very much qualitative research and doing a lot of interviewing uh, with, with clients and um, it, it sort of clients and um i look at a lot of um boards so like boards within organizations and committees and interviewing those people on those boards and committees to make sure that yeah basically the disability inclusion element is being met
0: got it and so you know you you said you're you're using the methods um but i guess i'd ask the question you know does any of the theory come into the work like or at least do you get to make that present in any way?
1: Unfortunately, not so far. And so that, that's that's another part. Like I've had to, um, I've had to learn to get um, get. I've had to learn to adapt to what the clients obviously. Um, do. Yeah, they're, I uh, haven't actually gone into. I see a lot of stuff on LinkedIn about business anthropology, where I like talking about organisational culture and all that kind of stuff. So that kind of thing I haven't uh, got into as yet. Um, I'm sort of more, yeah, from the ground up, looking at the consumer, and which will eventually eventually feed up to the top. Um, but my, my, most of my interactions are just, um, yeah, consumer and, yeah, consumer focus. So the, yeah, the, the theory part of it hasn't sort of come into it too much as yet.
0: And from the consumer perspective, what are the, you know, the businesses interested in? Are they interested in, you know, the way they present the brand, you know, or the way they design products, what, what kind of work are we?
1: So we're looking at um, the experiences that, that the consumer consumers are having within that business. So it's on, I, I'm not so much, I, don't, I haven't worked in regards to anything to do with products at this stage. It's all been about um, the human experience. So for example, when they go into a business and they're utilising a business, what is it that they can't do? What is it that they can do? And what is it that they would need to then make that experience effectively? on an equal footing to someone without a disability. So it's really, so I always ask the consumer, the, the business, what's the experience that you would like your consumers to have? And th- when they say that, that the people with disability, the consumers with disabilities, ne- need to have that, that same experience and looking at what the gaps are that are preventing it from happening. Got
0: it. And so some of that presumably is, you know, involves the built environment, But obviously also, you know, there's, um, it would seem to me that there's, you know, likely employee training questions that come up as well, which I I appreciate gets closer into the organizational side maybe. But so is it more kind of built environment or is it, you know, more in like the, the way employees are treating consumers?
1: Yeah, so it's been interesting. So um, for me, I, I stay away from, well, I mean, when I, stay, I say I stay away, I don't deal with the built environment as much because the built environment, there's a lot, so much legislation that's involved in that. I will point out to a, to a business that there is a problem with, for example, um, I will say to the business, yeah, look, I'm, these consumers that are, not, are unable to, access this area of the building, for example, but I'm not going to go and say, okay, so this is the solution that needs to be done because I don't deal with that. That's an access um, access consultant. And yeah, th- there's so much legislation involved. I just don't deal with that. So for me, um, it's more about, okay, so, and this is the other thing that I've found as well is that, when you talk to businesses about accessibility, um, they, red, red, red flags go up for them because they think, okay, this this is going to be way too expensive, we don't want to deal with this, um, no thanks. So talking about disability inclusion, which is obviously embraces more than accessibility, that when people, when businesses start to see people, um, Wanting to access things, so because of the how it makes them feel uh, when when they can do so, that then taps into them wanting to to do more to to improve things. Um, one of my like was one of my uh, research contracts involved research looking at a gallery um, and what the consumers' experiences were in with that gallery. What it then also involved was talking to the staff and volunteers um, about what, what things that they noticed as well, and it was interesting because there was a lot of people who said, "Oh, we, we um, don't feel confident with with such and such," and it became and it was due to the you know the the lack of training, or they may not have. Um, being around when the training was ha- was happening, so there's a lot of a lot of issues that can be solved um, when it comes down to the human experience. Um, yeah, so the the virtual environment, sort of virtual environment issues sort of seem to be very minimal in comparison to what the human experience is.
0: And what would you say? You know, is there any trends that pop out? you know, as you're talking about with the human experience, so is there any trends that you pop out that you see across, you know, most companies that you work with, um, that, you know, anybody listening should be aware of and should be thinking about addressing in their own organizations?
1: Yeah. The biggest, I mean, the biggest thing is, um, the lack of knowledge about, um, well, for, for, I mean, it, yeah, it really depends on the, on the industry. But there's, a, I guess, a couple, the couple of the themes that sort of pop up across all industries is um, communication. So a lot of people, a lot of non-disabled people, still don't know how to confidently communicate with a person with a disability. And a lot of it is to do with the fact that um, it, in the disability services industry, for example, which is one of the areas that I consult in, um, there's a thing in Australia called Certificate Four in disability, and it's what people study before they go out and get jobs in the disability sector. In that particular industry, uh, that that particular subject, uh, sorry, uh, course, there's a lot of theory, and so it's a lot of reading about people with disabilities, but there's no actual uh, like, uh, face-to-face interaction with a person with a disability necessarily. So they're reading this stuff, they're reading these two-dimensional um, examples of what a person with disability is, uh, etc. And so when they're actually going out into the workforce and communicating with people, it's there's this, um, I guess this um disjoint because the real experience is completely different to that what's on, what's in um, what's in the book so there's that one um yeah so i i would say that that's probably the biggest one that comes across the whole thing is there's that but then also like i guess um when it comes to talking about the gallery for example um you know people with disabilities depending on the disability will be accessing the pieces of artwork in different ways for example the, the people that have Devices where they can hold it up to the to the artwork, and and that device will explain to them what that particular artwork looks like. Um, and obviously, there's there's rules in galleries where you can't take photos. So some volunteers who may not realise that that's actually a device to help a person see, will think that that's a camera, and they'll be like, "No, you can't use that." And then obviously, you know, that then makes that person with a disability, um, I guess, it could potentially make them feel uncomfortable, not wanting to go back to that kind of setting. So there's always, it's really, really, it's really about awareness and uh, understanding the person with a disability.
0: Yeah. You know, as you were responding there, I was starting to think of the word education. You know, you, you had started with talking about communication, which I can see, you know, why that's in, why that's important and why it's, you know, a shortcoming today. Um, but then as you continued on and you gave the example from the gallery, what really popped out at me was, you know, the thought that how do you go about educating a whole organization, you know, to have the experience to communicate well
1: so i found so there's two something I've found recently um through my business um and I find is a really good way of yeah of effectively cracking this is that um you know there are so many stereotypes that exist and um about people with disabilities. Um, and recently, uh, this is a really good example, I think, that sort of what, where my personal life and my business life came together and sort of showed how we can break down these, how we can address these issues. Uh, and um, to me, it's really about people with disabilities being seen, doing things, so the, that then pe- people go, okay, so that's, you know, what what inclusion really looks like. Um, so recently, uh, so I I do, um, yeah, I do strength sports, um, competed recently in, in a strongman competition and that, <clears throat> through doing that, because um, I know strongman, disabled strongman in America and the UK is really big. It's not so much in Australia, it's not so big in Australia. But I, people being able to see a person with a disability Doing something that they don't expect them to be able to do actually it makes a lot of people aware. Okay, well, maybe my bias, my, um, my prejudices, you know, maybe I have these things I didn't even realize I did. So that's a really good way of helping people be. I think if businesses can help people with disabilities be seen, that's really going to help the, the um, breaking things down. A lot of the training that I find in Australia, especially um, when I was working for the government for 20 years in, in the public service, a lot of the training was e-learning packages. So talking about people with disabilities on a computer screen, like that's, to me, that, that's not really a great way of learning. Um, talking to people, um, having people with, real lived experience talking to to staff that is probably the best way of breaking these things down but yeah for me absolutely the whole thing like even in australia there's a new lego that's that's come up in australia and i don't uh, you guys have probably already had it already the together we're better have you seen that one
0: no i haven't
1: so it's um it's really interesting it's um it's got People with disabilities, uh, so children with disabilities, children of different colours, races, you know, religion, whatever, and all together. So I think being that it's the visible, people will read things, people will, um, yeah, if people just read things, they're not going to get it. But if they actually get to see examples of it and see it actually happening, that's when I think people get on board with it
0: it's, it's quite a big task. And so what, what are you thinking in terms of, you know, your, 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 uh, plans for the organization? Are you thinking aside from like the human experience component that you're talking about, are you interested? I know you briefly said you might be interested in moving kind of upstream to organizational issues. What other areas in the sort of anthropological consulting space interest you?
1: Um, so for me, um, I guess being yeah, being a solo consultant, um, I'm I'm still very small fish. <laughs> um, yeah, so the whole organisational thing, um, yeah, I've only like, yeah, all the businesses that I've dealt with have all been small businesses, um, and yeah, I very rarely dealt with the large organisation, the large, I mean. Well, actually, no, I lied. The, a couple of large organisations I dealt with, um, but it was on a small scale. I was dealing with a particular group within that organisation and just dealing with that particular issue that they were having. So it wasn't a, like a across the organisation thing. Um, and as, yeah, for me, um, coming from working in, in government and working in And I guess this is it, yeah. So from and now that we're talking about it, I think this is why I sort of haven't gone into that direction yet. Working in a in the government um, for twenty years, uh, it was it was a toxic workplace environment. And so for me, that was because, um, like for example, in my particular situation, HR didn't have a clue what was going on in my workplace. Um, and I mean it's a, it's a national it's a national organization obviously. And so I find that yeah, if it's too big it it's too hard to deal with because you can't keep track of everything that's going on in your organization. so therefore that's why I'm very much focused on consumers in, in, and in, I guess in my own area looking at the consumers and keeping it small scale,
0: yeah, no. I mean, certainly, it would seem like you can have a lot more influence at that level.
1: Yeah, I think so. That's it. I'm very much grassroots. Like I, when I studied anthropology, um, it was the, it was very much the grassroots stuff that was that really interested me more than yeah the uh, like the big organization side of things. I was very much interested in how anthropology can help help the help the, the, the little guy and and yeah the people who don't have a voice
0: so to that point um you have your own podcast Mm -hmm. yeah and you speak quite a bit on you know other podcasts and and you know you see you sort of quite active on linkedin and so if you were to summarize you know what are you trying to do with all those efforts
1: so yeah, with with my podcast, I, I've taken a break from... So I did, I did one season. I will be relaunching really the second season this year. Uh, the purpose of that podcast so far has been about breaking down the barriers of... like what I was talking about with that Certificate for, like textbook examples of people with disabilities. Uh, in, in that particular podcast, interviewing people with disabilities, to show that we're more than you know, the stereotype that people think we are and that we're doing different things to what people think we are, etc. Um, so that was, a, that was the, the, uh, the first season. The second season, I did the start last year talking about COVID-19 disability, but obviously with the, with things with the PhD, it got a bit too murky in regards to ethics, so I decided to put that on, that on hold. Uh, and this year, um, yeah, I'll basically just be going back to raising awareness and, and looking and talking about my focus with this one, we'll be talking about the, um, I guess, not so much the experience of COVID, but in regards to accessibility and inclusion um, and what the, the lessons that we can take away from COVID-19 in regards to inclusion and taking that forward. So that's there. And then, so yeah, with LinkedIn, obviously, um, my purpose being on LinkedIn is again just to raise awareness and to, for for me, like I call myself a disability inclusion consultant. Um, I'm not so up, like, when people see that, they think inclusion in regards to like HR, that kind of stuff. Um, and for me, I'm not really um, concerned about, like, I don't play in the employment space for people with disabilities, as you like. I I've basically been saying here, it's all about the consumer. So, looking at how businesses provide that inclusive experience for their consumers. So, and yeah, that's that's my purpose on LinkedIn, just to keep promoting that and getting people on board with that idea.
0: So, two questions based on, on what you just said there. One, I'm curious to know. You know, across all those channels, have you found anything that works really well to raise awareness, particularly, you know, to, uh, to people like, you know, outside, you know, of the community in the sense of like, you know, I often, I find, I'm going to use my own example here, whereas I find that I oftentimes am speaking like about anthropology to anthropologists and, you know, that's good. It's like when we go to an anthropology conference, right? It's great. We get to, to, to see people we know and talk to others that we don't know, and we get to learn and share. But it's also sometimes like a room of us telling like, you know, anthropology is great and everybody say, yeah, it's, it's wonderful. Um, and we often need to kind of move, you know, to work on awareness outside of the circle of anthropology, because what we really need is employers and and companies to hire, you know, to, well, to hire employees or consultants, whatever it may be. So what have you found that really works to build, you know, awareness um, just across any of those channels?
1: For me, it's been about storytelling. So um, it's interesting because like at the beginning, I was always like, it's not about me. It's not about me. It's about, you know, people with disabilities across the board. It's, and, but then I learned, well, actually, no, I need to be telling my story And and my in sharing my experiences, because obviously um, that's where I can tap into my to my emotional, the emotional side and bring that out. And that's what I find people have actually really resonated with. They've resonated with um, like hearing about how things have affected, like um, talking like just quickly talking about that uh, example of the strength sports that I've gotten into. I shared a story on LinkedIn um, the other day and it was to me that particular because it was a perfect example of inclusion um, and what I want businesses to be doing so basically the short of it was that it was a competition um, and I'd always like I've always watched this kind of sport but never actually participated in it because being in a wheelchair couldn't do it Um, but then someone there's a guy who's got been awarded Australian of the Year, Dylan Alcott, and he's um, a wheelchair tennis player. And he, um, yeah, so basically he started this thing called Sport for All, which is about making sports inclusive for people with disabilities. Short of it is that uh, my coach actually caught on to the program. And she messaged me and she said, hey, I'm running this competition next month. Would you like to compete? And I'm like, uh, yes, please, because I thought, wow, yeah. So I was the only disabled person competing in this particular competition. Um, but yeah, so I went along and competed, no idea. We had no idea how it was going to play out. It was just basically I was the guinea pig, and you know, I was completely fine with that. But then people actually saw the competition and I ended up getting a, uh, contacted by somebody else and they said, we're running a competition next month. If we made an all, all, um, an all abilities category, would you like to compete? And I was just like, yes, please. And then from there, more people with disabilities are actually competing in a competition. So that's an example of people seeing what, what's actually possible then going ahead and adapting it to their own business and it didn't cost a damn thing you know so that to me so sharing those kind of stories and what it meant to me on a personal level like on a mental health level I actually got a response from that on LinkedIn people were going okay wow, we actually can see what disability inclusion does um, on, a, on a human experience level and that talk, so continuing those conversations and talking about what it actually does. It can be mentally taxing at times, especially when you're talking and there's little action being taken. But yeah, it definitely helps um, to, to move the story along and get people slowly on board with the idea.
0: Uh, it's a great example. Um, so I'm glad you brought it up. Now, the other thing you were you had said Prior to my last question, you mentioned how, you know, you've been talking about uh, what was learned during COVID Um, and, you know, how we need to remember maybe, you know, I guess this is my words, but, you know, the things we need to remember and potentially do differently in the future to make sure, um, you know, that people with disabilities are treated, you know, uh, appropriately, I guess, even out of the pandemic. But of course, if we go into another, right. And um, ever, but of course, just even outside of that. And so what were the main things that you learned, I guess, you know, if you could share them aside from the fact that you already mentioned, you know, services were shut down, right. Which seems like a a drastic kind of oversight um, on the part of the government, but what, you know, what else came out of it that maybe just, you know, uh, you know, I'm not aware of, or others are not aware of. Okay,
1: um, so I guess I'll, I'll talk to you a little bit about that that particular medical thing um, that that I came came across during the literature search. So, um, and so this isn't just COVID; this is across the board, which is which is quite quite scary. And these kind of things are why disability inclusion is so important. Making people aware, yeah, bringing awareness to disability is so important, so people can see just that. It, it's funny. I've had so many conversations with people going, "Oh, we must be such a, we must be so progressive, moving towards disability inclusion." And it's like, well, actually, no, um, because in that particular. Um, medical um, journal instance uh, there's three guidelines that they use when it comes to that last piece of uh, life-saving equipment there's three guidelines that they use so say for example if you and I were like like laying on a bed we're both like you know not able to talk because we're sick as hell with COVID Um, but there's one last piece of equipment uh, available you will get that equipment because you don't have a disability because it's they they look at things like social utilities. So for example, what is a person with a disability going to contribute to society against somebody without a disability? So if neither of us are able to talk to defend ourselves, me having the disability, that's like a cross against me. And the other one is underlying health conditions, the assumption that People with disabilities all have underlying health conditions, so therefore saving a person with a disability is pretty stupid in the eyes of the medical field compared to somebody without so there was those things but um so the I guess the other surprising part um, I'm just trying to think of other things that really I guess it's um having a disability yourself. You kind of you don't you don't get surprised by much that you see. So and then you forget that. I, and then yeah, yeah. Like I, I found the thing that I found was that you know obviously I was internalizing all this stuff. Um, but yeah, people without disabilities um don't know. And I'm I'm just trying to think of things that. Cause I, I think I, a lot of the stuff I hadn't actually talked about because I just sort of kept it in my own head because, you yeah, know, be, not being able to deal with it. So, um, but I think, um, I do know, like, I'm trying to think. So I know, like, conferences, for example. Um, yeah, with the conference, <clears throat> I had a lot of friends um, during COVID who were obviously able to... Um, able to present more at conferences because of the fact that they were all online uh, and then once co- like once the, those conferences all went back to normal they were like no we can't we can't um it, we can't offer you remote, etc because it'd be too hard um, so yeah, I think basically. The biggest thing was that all of these things that were coming into play, and this is probably the biggest thing, all the the things like remote working, the the Zoom, like Zoom, doing everything online, uh, even even like in my local area, for example, Uber Eats, like as soon as COVID hit, there's like so many Uber Eats options that had not been there before, Um, so all these kind of things that. People with disabilities had been fighting for all of these things for like years and years and years, and finally pandemic hits and it's all possible. So that's probably the biggest thing is that, yeah, we had been wanting all this stuff for years and even and everyone, all the businesses were saying, no, sorry, not possible, too expensive, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, finally, because it affected them, they're like, yep, okay, we can do it now. So I think that's probably the biggest thing.
0: Well, let's hope they keep doing it. And so um, for anybody who's you know, interested in working with you or learning more about what you do, um, you know, is there any particular place that you'd like them to get in touch with you?
1: Yeah, so LinkedIn, um, Ainsley Hooper. I've also got my company page on there, Ainsley Hooper Consulting, um, or my website, ainsleyhooper.com.au um so yeah they're the two places um to get me absolutely
0: and do you have anything coming up that you know you want people to know about uh so at the
1: moment i am just uh uh, yeah i'm currently working on a couple of things so i can't say exactly what at the moment but yeah this week this year's looking exciting
0: oh that's it's great to hear well ainsley thanks very much for taking the time it was really great to chat with you and um
1: thank you for having me on
0: yeah my pleasure look forward to uh chatting again in the future thanks thank you for listening to the anthropology and business podcast to learn everything you need to break into business anthropology and why business anthropology is one of the best lenses for contributing to business success visit my website at madarts.me where i cover many topics related to business anthropology and beyond There you will find all the podcast episodes, blogs, and news. Please like, share, and subscribe. See you next time.